Welcome to the Purpose Driven Executive Podcast, where we help you go from making your work your life to making your life work. We share true stories, interviews, and experiences that will help you, the hero, in your quest for passion and purpose. Higher purpose, higher productivity. This is the Purpose Driven Executive Podcast. What is up, people of purpose? Leaders in the business world, the world of commerce, and just leaders in general, those who go first. I have brought to you today, I've, I have um, connected with this woman a while ago and had the pleasure of, uh, we played a little tag and then we, we oh man, I just, I, I feel like, I, this is, this is my, I feel like my big sister here. <laughs> this is what I found. I'm not going to reveal what she does, but I'm going to tell you this. Go ahead and go over to LinkedIn and look up and follow Jean Nickerson. That's Jean with a J, Nickerson. And uh, I'm just going to welcome you to, welcome you to the show. Jean, thanks for showing up here on the Purpose Driven Executive Podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Donnie. You, you don't give yourself enough credit you uh, restored my faith in LinkedIn because you were one of the few people that reached out to me. Uh, we didn't know each other and you sent a connection invite. And I'm always a little suspicious of those because nine out of 10 people, they link in with you and the first thing they want to do is pitch you. And you literally restored my faith in LinkedIn because you reached out really just to get to know me better and looked at my profile and saw what I did and thought I might be a person you'd want to talk to. And that is the nature of LinkedIn. It is not to connect and then try to pitch your services as soon as the person accepts. Oh my gosh. And so I can't wait to dig into that part with you, Gene, because I think, I think a lot of us, uh, we have this thing out there and we're told all of these stories about how we should do things and we do it. And it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel right, but we do it anyway. And, and I think that's what's happening on LinkedIn. But Gene, before we go any further, right, this is purpose-driven executive. So, so tell us not what you do. Tell us what does Gene Nickerson love? Well, I love my family, so I should get that out. I do believe in family first. But uh, what I really love is helping small business owners to be successful. And, and not just from a standpoint of making money and hiring people, but that that they really enjoy their business and it's my passion and my passion is small businesses, predominantly family run service-based businesses. But I really like that joy. I've loved selling since I was a little girl. Um, I, I started in university and thought I was going to actually go into be a, a, into a dietitian and took chemistry and I'm just, my brain is not hardwired, but I come from, uh, although my mom was a librarian and my dad was a was a engineer, uh, you don't have to go back very far. You have my uncle, who was a very successful salesperson, and my father's father, who is a very successful salesperson. But I love sales. More importantly, I love evangelizing. That I really believe. You know, people have said to me, "Do you think anybody can sell?" And I believe that with two caveats. One is that you have to be curious. You have to be the kind of person that wants to double click on information and you have to like people. But if you have those two qualifiers that you're curious and you're always interested in learning something new and digging deep into a subject and you like people, then I believe everything else can be trained. 
So that's what I'm passionate about as far as what I do outside of my personal life. I love to read. There, I tell people this story that there's a Twilight Zone episode where Burgess Bear, uh, Meredith Burgess is a person who has all the time in the world and all the books. And the last scene in the, um, in the show is he breaks his glasses. So that's the irony. He has all the time and all the books, but now because he broke his glasses, he can't read. So I just, I love reading and it, it seems to be one of the things that I'm good for, for my business, because I'm, as I think we talked about before, I believe as a consultant that your job is to bring the insights to your customers, not to hand them a list of books and say, go read these books and figure it out. Love it. Love it. I want to back up to something you said earlier. You said that you love helping uh, people love their businesses. And a lot of times I know some of the people that you work with a lot are like those, those second generation business owners and uh, talk to me, Gene, tell us why, why do you feel like that's important to love the business and, and how do you, um, how, how does one help someone to love their business? So, yes, I, I predominantly work with centered second generation family businesses. Actually, interestingly, I was, I had a, site visit for one of my customers and the prospect is also a family run business in their third generation, 75 years. I think there are a couple things. I think that um, why I want them to love their business is it's that old saying, if you find something you love, you'll never work a day in your life. Um, but the, the family run businesses are really, they're, they're doing a lot of good for their communities. They're, they're loyal. Um, they're not greedy. They really want that fair exchange of value. They really do. And the businesses I work with have great stories but because they're in their second or third generation. Daddy started the business. Daddy's kind of walking out and winding it down. Unfortunately, I haven't met any mummies that are, are, are that the, the third generation of the mummy started and owned the business. But I think one of the things is, is they, you know, daddy's always sort of called the shots, right? And, and this is just my experience, so I qualify it. And they have great stories, and, but the world has kind of changed around them. There's this thing called the internet, there's Google reviews, and they really just need somebody to, to, to show them how to share this amazing story they have in different channels that they've never used before. And so for me, the first thing it starts with is it really starts with finding their authentic value proposition, mm. that one that they can live every day, twice on Sundays, they can close their eyes and mm. they can do it. And that starts with interviewing their best customers because there are two things that sort of I stand firmly against and almost have an aversion to is people saying that I, I can sell to everybody. I can sell the people with skin. I can sell the people with socks. I can sell the people with legs. You know, I, I really stand against that because I also believe if you're serving all masters, you're serving none. And so their best customers are the people they like to do business with. They're the good referral partners. They're the people you go to get testimonials. They're the people that will sing your praises in a way that we really need social proof these days that, you know, people are buying online and they're, they're, they're getting hoodwinked or they're getting swindled. And so I really, for my clients and I encourage everybody 
to check out before they do business with somebody, go check out what they look like online. You know, and I think that that online reputation serves two audiences. So because I work with family run service driven businesses, labor is something that we constantly need to keep an eye on. We could, we have to have a talent pipeline because my ability to grow the business and, and drive pipeline is heavily dependent on the ability to serve the business. I've, I've told people that, you know, I can, we can do all the marketing in the world, but when people get to our door, it's a bit like Walmart, you know, Walmart can spend millions of dollars on advertising, but how would you feel if you walked in and the Walmart greeter flipped you the bird? Right. And so that, that experience has to be evangelized through the organization. And I need to serve two audiences, more than two, but the two predominant audiences are my, my current and future employees and my customers. And I believe by treating your current employees and future employees very well, that will create the environment to deliver an exceptional, exceptional customer experience. And, and you know, Donnie, that, you know, 89% of B2B companies are predominantly created, you know, um, competing on customer experience. Mm, that is and so I, powerful. I, Gene, and Gene, I know that you are like the wizard of sales, right? In selling. I always have said that the number one way for more sales is to be magic with the sales you've already done, right? It's, it's to uh, fulfill your promise, first off, in a way that, uh, that you're, that, exceeds the expectations for, of your clients. And so I, I love that there's that customer service approach there. Talk to me, Gene, you're really big on story, right? Crafting your sales story from your DNA, from your strengths. Can you share with us maybe how you go about that or, or, or some things you've seen? Hey, thanks for being someone who is on this journey of purpose with me. And I am with you, my friend, and I've got something for you. Have you ever been moving towards purpose and sometimes it just looks like a big mess? Sure you have. We all have. And the reality is, is we're usually not going to get to a destination unless we have a roadmap. And that's exactly what I've created. If you will go to PurposeDrivenExecutive.com, you can get it for free. And this is the culmination of all of my studies, all of my coaching, all of even my own personal living. And I've created a very visual, very easy way for you to map out your purpose. This is for you. This is for people you're leading. This is for your family. Go on over right now, purposedrivenexecutive.com and get your free map of purpose. So yes, I am. Because I've sold, and it's interesting, I'll, I'll just give a quick story, is that um, I did a presentation earlier this week to my business networking group. And one of the things that I think you would agree and we've talked about before is there are a lot of people out there saying that they can do sales coaching and consulting. But <laughs> when you look at their experience and you look at the kinds of sales they've done and the, the most recent one is uh, – I won't say who the, the franchise is, but it's a massage therapist who's trying to do corporate sales and business coaching. And I'm like, right off the bat, you don't have the credibility. So I, I go back to because I've sold intangibles, the way you sell intangibles is you have to tell the story. You have to use analogies because you're not, you're not coming in with a demo, right? You're coming in with 
you basically have the stories of the pain, the people you found on the side of the road and how you restored them to success. And so nothing tells that demonstration better than a story. And it's interesting, you know, Harvard Business Review and lots of people have gotten into storytelling. But, you know, if you look at the Druids, they were an oral history. That's the everything was passed down. And they resonate with us. And so what is my approach to the stories? The first thing that I look at is I do a lot of research because the other bane of my existence is that people don't think that they have competition. And whether that's the status quo, whether that's I was helping a woman today who has just opened a a retirement residence and the biggest objection she has is older people don't want to live in assisted living. So before she can even sell into why her place is the place to live, she has to sell into that. So I start with researching the competition. What is that the biggest objection that somebody would have to doing a business with, with my client, right? What, what is it? Is it the market conditions? Is it perception? Is it reputation? What is that biggest objection? And I always believe that positioning because market, you know, people don't know the difference between what positioning and value prop is. Positioning is how, what you do, solves a category of problems and you have to sell that first before you can even sell your services. You have to get alignment that what you do helps the customer. And once you're there, that's 50% of the equation. Then the second piece is how what you do sets you apart from your competitors. So I start with doing research and going out there and really getting familiar with what kind of the industry key industry trends are kind of what people are looking for, where the competitors are positioned. So because the other, I know I'm saying it's, it's interesting. I'm saying all these things I don't like, but it's like kind of, that's the old saying, you start with what you don't like before you understand what you like. So I also look at people's online, the competitors online presence. And it's interesting when I go into an industry that all the companies end up taking the same approach that all their competitors do. You'll look at, it's almost cookie cutter websites that look the same. And my whole point is, is if you don't stand out, then you're no different than your competitors. Mm -hmm. So I do that first. Then I usually go in and I talk to the employees and sort of ask them what they hear from the market, right? Because they're on the ground and they're listening. And I ask lots of questions about, you know, where do you see the opportunities? Where do you see the challenges? Um, had another guy, interestingly, that I'll get back to it, but quick story, who's in a plastics industry. And he's like, yes, single use plastics are going away. And what he does is going away and it's being replaced by technology. But I said, you know, it's interesting that in this time of, of looking for sustainable, you know, advantages, a lot of people are using plastics for things that they don't want to have to repair all the time. I was at an amusement park and all the railing now is plastic that looks like wood, right? So anyway, I do that. What are the challenges? What are we going to do? Um, Where can we pivot to? You know, what what does it look like where we, you know, because I have some customers that are going away, right? They're, 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 they're going to need to pivot to that next place to survive, right? So figuring out kind of where the market is going, what looks like it's going to be an opportunity that is going to be widely adopted as opposed to a moonshot, which, yeah, in 10 or 15 years, but most of my clients don't have 10 or 15 years to, to figure out the moonshot. And then 
And what I do is I get down to the real gritty of talking to customers and asking their customers. And I do that for two reasons. Um, one is I did a lot of business with Home Depot in a previous life. And I'll remember they called her for as part of a survey and she brought up things that she saw as real value drivers, that, that they were the, the real things that made her buy that I didn't see as, as really important. Um, I have a client that that's in a industry where if you need their service, you don't want to send an email, you want to speak to somebody. Mm. And so we put on their website that put us to the test. We always answer the phone. We always answer the phone. And in this day and age where I do prospecting, you do prospecting, you know that that is a powerful commitment. It is a competitive differentiator and it's a powerful commitment that you're making that if you want to talk to us, we'll pick up the phone and we'll talk to you. So once I do that, um, I have a pretty good understanding of, you know, and I know where they're positioned now, right? How they're positioning themselves to the marketplace now. And then I start to craft their story. Then I start to look at, you know, how have they positioned themselves? How are their competitors positioned? Where do I think they're strong? What kind of customers do I think that they're aligned with that are going to be the kind of customers that are not a one and done, but, you know, that you build a relationship with, that you can add real value? Because my overriding principle in life is even or better odds. It's my overriding principle. So I have not too much information, but I have a Maltese cross tattooed on my shoulder. Implicitly, <laughs> when I find people not off. I, they, it's like at the claps table, you put your $5 down and you'll walk away with your $5. You'll probably walk away with infinitely more, but you'll walk away with your $5. And then I start crafting the story. And then the other thing, once I've done that, created what the, the digital marketing, the social media, the LinkedIn, the website strategy, is then I start to target people and see, does this, does this resonate? So without going wide, but does this in prospecting, does this messaging, does this value prop resonate? And from there, it's pretty quick to understand, have you nailed it? If you haven't nailed it, and I don't always nail it the first time out of the gate, sometimes I have to go back and tweak, but I nail it and then I, you know, do what I need to do and start to evangelize that message to our market so that people know, and I, and, and I have, you know, people like, wow, you've been there 30 years. How come I didn't know you existed? Mm. Cause you didn't know the story. Gene, Gene, Gene. So I'm going to, I'm going to, this is really good stuff. I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to slow it down for the audience a little bit. I'm just going to say like, Hey, in the stages, this is what I've, I'm, I'm furiously taking notes here. So the stages are first off, identify, your uh, your value proposition, and you do that through interviewing clients. There's it's a client testimonials, and in in from that you help uh, bring and create a message of value, but also differentiation, so that the people in the company can understand. Hey, here's actually what people see that you do out there, and then you turn that outward in the uh, in the sales messaging and in the marketing. Like, have you ever, Gene, have you ever come across someone who didn't understand their story and you were able to say, hey, you thought the story was this, but really it's that and it made, it made a big difference for them? What's your favorite? Yeah, I have. The one, the most recent client I have was, I was, we, I had gotten up and done an infomercial and a networking and he had, he'd agreed to do business with me right away. 
And what he thought that he was doing was he needed sales help. Mm. And he is the, the perfect example. So he had been in business 11 years. He's a kitchen remodeler. Some competitors had come into the market and, and he was basically getting beat up on price that he, he believed that, you know, he had brought me in to, to he was going to get out of the business. It, essentially he was going to pivot right out of the business, but he needed to keep the business going in order to fund that pivot. Right. And so what I recognized is when I started looking at, you know, how he was positioned, he didn't position any value. Like when you went to his website and he got lots of reviews, he had really, really, um, we have, we have home stars up. I'm a Canadian. So anyway, we have home stars, which is like an Angie's list, right? Mm-hmm. But more qualified than that for any sort of house cleaning, renovations, contracting, anything you go there and you check your home star reviews. And he had a really good story, but everything that was positioned and he was defensive And that was the other thing. He was defensive so that he went into every sales situation believing that the customer only cared about price. And Mm. so it was a self-perpetuating, you know, thing. If you're defensive about price, you, you bring that out. You ask transactional questions and yeah, that's the, that's the value. The essence of the value prop is why does that work to make owners proud of their businesses? because they sell themselves first on what a great story they have and they have to do that before they can sell anybody else. Yes. But once they do, their shoulders go back. They literally, I, I, I think I told you, somebody said, what's the difference between you and a life coach? And I said, I can tell you exactly. I, I found this a couple of weeks ago. A life coach is you have to get your life together before the business can get better. Mine is a lot of people's lives get better when the business gets better. And if that's the differentiator for me, if your life is going to, if your issues are about your business getting better and that's going to make your life better, I'm the right solution for you. If you need your life to get a whole lot better before the business can get better, then you need a life coach. But yeah. And and so from there, what happened is we, we, we crafted his message. We had a lot of drill down on differentiation. We had a lot of drill down on where he wanted to be positioned he had to, he had to do line extensions. So to serve the market, he he had to go up market, but to go up market, he couldn't do it with what he was offering. So he had to start interviewing partners because in order to move up market, he was going to have to broaden the service that he offered. But within 10 weeks, he's like, we changed his qualification script. We asked, you know, the most important question, why now? Right. Why now? Why are you calling us? Why are you interested? Why now? What's going on? Right. And we redid his website. We played up the fact that most contractors who aren't reputable are not going to drive you to their reviews. That we, we evangelize position in the market. Before you consider any single supplier and what they have to offer, first check out that other people are happy with them. And that, that get that assurance that now, and, I, and it was funny how, how much there's, you know, kind of God whispering in your ear I remembered yesterday um, that I had done a really big negotiation with, uh, with somebody and had not done a credit check. And I got, and he, it was a hard one negotiation, but I went to go. And at that point I did the background check, you know, I did the credit check and he had an outstanding lawsuit against him. Mm. 
So I've now learned, okay, before we get deep and tight and start talking about marriage and meeting families, go check out their reputation. Mm. Go see what other people have to say about them. See that they're, because you can weed out a lot of pain and sorrow by just, should I be talking to this person? Uh, Is this a person that I should consider? Yeah, I want to pause right here because I know that, Gene, you are really good at this. Um, Life is too short to spend time with people, even clients, that suck. And you really uh, help people to drill into their ideal customer and get rid of the crappy ones. Talk to us about why that's Mm -hmm. important and how does one do that? So going back to the value prop, right? You've got to know your value. You've got to know your value so you can defend your value. Right. And so if you if you have no idea how you're different, you have no idea what the good story is, you have no idea that you have your fans, right? You're you're gonna be a boat tossed around on the water. And my challenge, I have an old saying and and I'll I'll try to clean it up, is um coming from a line of salespeople, an uncle who was very clear about, you know, I won't say it, but my dad said he used to walk out of sales calls and get in his car and say, F an idiot, right? But my dad and I actually teased about it because everybody was an F, F an idiot. And so I, I, I said to him at one point, I said, you know, the common thing is they can't all be, you know, F an idiots. At some point, the common theme is you, right? <laughs> it's you that have attracted these people to you, right? So they... You have to first discuss that. Do you like what's going on? And, and I and I go back to the kitchen remodeler. Um, you know, he thought he needed a salesperson, right? He didn't need a salesperson. What he really needed to do is find his fans and fall in love with his business. Yes. And when I met him, he was closing three deals out of seventy. So three out of seventy. I was like, no wonder you hate your business. And he was going on site to do quotes, and. And so how do you find your fans? You, you go back to who do you like to do business with? Who do you like? You know, I'm a big believer. Your ideal customer looks a lot like you. You know, they, they share the same interests. They have the same passions. You know, like the customer yesterday that, that family-run business. You know, people have been in the business five years. Why not go find more of those people? Because that's mm. when you love your business. You like it because even when you're losing, you're talking to the kinds of people you like to talk to. You don't win everybody who's your ideal customer, but even as you're going through the discovery and the qualification, you like talking to those people, even as they're saying no to you. Come on. So I say the one, yes. one thing I say is nice and a small guy. We do business, you know, big and a jerk. We, there's a chance we'll do business small and a jerk, no time in the world. <laughs> Gene, why do you, why do you think, um, this takes courage, right, to step into that. Why do you think so many businesses out there will do business with uh, whosoever, right? Whosoever walks across uh, or picks up the phone or whatever, um, how do we get from the place where we're doing whatever it takes to survive to go into the place where we're thriving and we're literally building something that lets us spend the rest of our lives with the people we love the most. So the first thing going back to value is really understand once you've done all that analysis, you know where you're positioned in the market, you know where your pricing needs to be. 
right? And so at that point, you know where your value is, you know where you're stratified in your industry. And it's been my experience that most people don't have a defensible pricing strategy. And so therefore they're at the whims of a very aggressive smart market. The reason people ask for discounts is 70% of salespeople will cave to a minimum of a 10% discount on the first ask. You know, they'll say, you know, oh, come on, Gene, we're so close. Don't you want to get this deal done today? Just, this is, just, just come down. And then because you're busy and you're, you're reacting and you're working in the business as opposed to on the business, you go, yep. And that's a slippery slope. And then what happens is 50% of your customers become price buyers. And why should your value customers that you like to deal with pay more because you're abusing them because they're good and nice and they pay their bills. That is not aligned with what I believe your best customer should be treated better than a walk-in. We, I have a client, their walk-in rate is a premium. Now you want to sign up, you want to be somebody who, who, you know, has a respectful relationship with our business. Then we have our regular customer rates, but our walk-in rate is a premium, not a discount. Mm. Yeah. And, and I've seen this too. And you tell me if you think this is true, Gene, I feel like that, I mean, obviously, emotions are a big factor when we're making decisions in any part of our lives. And when people are wearing that entrepreneurial hat, they are exhausted. And when they're facing a lot of these, these, these selling opportunities, it feels like they're not necessarily, they're not functioning in this, you know, from this place of, of, of love and first off acceptance of their own message and, and the people they love and want to work with the most. But really it's almost like fear is engaged and there's a fight or flight thing and and it's almost like they act uncharacteristic in uh in, in those times well you you've nailed you've nailed this innovative so if we think it as a service life cycle or a product life cycle we know that it's a bell curve right and somewhere before your business tails off and dies you need to bifurcate Every business goes through it, whether they, you know, they're entrepreneurial and they need to put process in place or, you know, they're, they're, they're growing and they need to, you know, start to have rules around. So you have to bifurcate at some point. If you, you can, you can grind a business with over process the business till you grind it to a halt, but you have to bifurcate. And what that takes courage because most people, you know, the mouse and the cheese will stay on the course until they die. It's, you know, that whole analogy of the frog in the pot, you just keep, you can't, you can't throw a frog into boiling water because it'll jump out, but you can kill a frog by putting it in, in, you know, the regular temperature water and turning up the heat. Mm. And where I get them is this is, this is where the difference for me is critical is that I, I have no choice, but to reinvent my business. I have mm. no choice. I am, I I am open to all suggestions because I've tried to do this myself and it, I'm not getting the results I want. So I am open to all suggestions of how to get this back on track and get to back to a place where I can grow. My people are employed. I have a, an environment where I can offer opportunities to new employees so I can grow. And, but they literally have come to that rec realization. Some of them are referrals. 
Some of them find me directly, but they're like, and, and I have one caveat, which is, you know, so why 50% of people don't want to do anything different. They want to complain. They want to be a victim. They want people to commiserate. You know, they're the frog in the pot. Doesn't it suck to boil? Right. And then 50% are like, you know what? I don't want that. And those people, because I get stuff done, you want, you want your world to look different. You really want it to be different. I can make that happen for you. I can make that happen, but you're mm. going to have to commit and be all in. And, but it'll be so much better. You know, it's, it's sort of like quitting drinking. You can't let you go. Why didn't I do this sooner? <laughs> because your life is just so much better, but it takes a big commitment. And only it's been my experience that 50% of people really just want to complain and want to have somebody to get in, you know, get into the pity party and the wallowing in the misery and 50%, you know, are looking for a change. Now it's not to say all 50% do it, but they're at least open to what I'm doing now isn't working for me. Mm. So Gene, there's a group. uh, Well, let me back up. Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, right? The, the famous sales movie. And it was it, like the sales, it was all about the leads, getting the leads, getting the leads. And I know that you are someone that helps in that part of it too. Once you know your story, you have to, you have to know um, who actually cares about that. But you are one of the few people I've ran into out there that understands the value of a target-rich environment called trade associations. And, and I, I love that that's a strategy that you often deploy. Can, can you share with us a little bit about that and in, in, in how everyone should be putting a trade association to use for what they're doing? Yeah. So you're going to, if I've positioned you correctly and you're where I usually find you, you are not meeting your ideal client they're finding you by accident, right? So you now are gonna have to go into some bigger pools and you're gonna have to start swimming, right? You, you, you got your sexy, you got your body buff, you got your new Speedo on and you're gonna have to go start swimming. <laughs> and what I like about trade associations is I, I, get, I get the affiliation, I get the social proof that I'm a member. And so for most businesses that are going to go where they've never gone before, it's a nice, it's a nice sort of, you know, life preserver that you put around you because you're, you have a common association and people are at least willing because of that association to, to listen, maybe not give you a lot of time. You might get 10 seconds, but because you're going into a place where you haven't gone before, the other thing too, is they're going to need to stretch themselves because this new value prop they're wearing, this new speedo and body, you know, habits are powerful. It's very hard Mm. to, to change the habits. So they've got to go out there and stretch themselves and you're going to go into an association. You're going to meet some really big people. I mean, I'll never forget that, I had an SVP of Walmart call me back. You know, he didn't have a need for my services, but he respected me enough to call me back and say, you know, hey, Gene, and I'm linked in with him now. I'm linked into an SVP at Walmart because I did, a, you know, an outreach about, you know, we're part of this association. This is what I know about you. You know, 
is this something you might be interested in? And he wasn't because he has a completely different solution for his business. But he did call me back to kindly let me know that, that, you know, it, this wasn't something he was interested in. Mm. Mm, that is, uh, that is powerful. I, I love the idea too, that if you go in, let's just say you're, you provide something that everyone within that group needs, it gives you a, a leg up at least to meet what your ideal customer looks like, right? You get to, you get to meet and, and, and rub shoulders with these people and find out their stories and, and you can figure out where yours intersects. But it's just a, again, you're, you're finding that target rich environment. And if you really are invested in the cause together, then they'll do what the SVP of Walmart did with you. They'll, they'll pick up the phone, right? Because you're going in the same direction. Well, and you're, you now are so you have defensible value. You can defend your value. So when you're, you're going to, there's, as I said, even as you're prospecting, you're talking to people you like to talk to. So even though the SVP called me back to say he didn't have a need for my services, I remember that conversation. I enjoyed the conversation. It made me think better about Walmart. And I said such. I'm a big fan of Walmart. I think the world is divided into Amazon and Walmart. I'm on the Walmart side of that equation. Hmm. But it left me with a positive impression about his company. And I think that's the thing about prospecting. I think that you can do prospecting where you escalate the game to this is just an outreach to see if we're aligned. It's nothing. I'm not even going to try to sell you now. I just want to see if we're aligned, right? Are we aligned where this could even be a possibility? And now you're meeting the people you like to work with. You're meeting the top of the game. So in your association, you're going to meet companies like you, but you're going to also be exposed to some companies that are really at the top of their game, your industry leaders. And you can learn a lot from that. I always say about, I'm going to, I, teasing everybody. I'm going to a business networking event. You know, it's, it's an unqualified one. It's a, and I'm calling it the business hoedown, right? It's a business hoedown. I'm just going to go check it out for the, the first time and see what it's like. But, you know, I firmly believe that when you walk into a room, you want to see that the leaders at a nine or a 10, you want to see those leaders, you know, who's the board, who are the influencers? Are they at a nine or a 10? because they're going to track nine and nines and below. If you look at that leader or that board or that whatever, and you go, holy crap, that's a five or a six. I don't stay because I know Run. that they're only going to track five and six and belows. Yeah. And that's how I do it. And so your industry association, the good ones, there are some really fantastic people running it who are good business people. And at the very least, you're going to learn something that you can use take away that can make your business better. I love it. Gene, this has been wonderful and powerful and we're, we're going to go ahead and, uh, and wrap it up. But I want to I bring it back to the beginning of what we said <laughs> with so many people uh, unleashing so much um, immediate, quick sell, sell, sell tactics on, um, it's not really sell tactics, it's just kind of a throw up tactic to throw something against the wall to see if it, if it sticks on LinkedIn, uh, can you give us just a parting shot, maybe combine a little bit of what you just now mentioned of, of connecting with, with nines and tens. How does that happen? I love your phrase of uh, uh, this is an outreach just to see if we're aligned, not to, not to pitch or anything like that, but can you 
Can you address that? And then can you tell our listeners where they can follow you, get in touch with you, and all of those things? Yep. So um, they. Uh, so what I think on LinkedIn is we are defined as salespeople by the worst example of our profession. And so unfortunately, LinkedIn, it is very hard to do cold outreach. So the very first thing, and I have a five star on in-mails. My in-mails are returned a lot, right? Unless I'm doing recruiting. Recruiting, you know, is a little different. I don't get quite the receptivity. But as far as outreach to either potential prospects or influencers or people, um, I have a very. And it's because I do a little bit of research about them. I do a little bit of research about why would I want to connect with this person? Why would this person want to speak to me? That kind of like initial olive branch of this. And that's, I can get rid of 90% of the people just with that. The second one is when people do cold outreach to me, I set the expectation of sending back a reply as I did with you. Um, Are you looking at me as an active prospect? Is the reason that you've reached out to me because you want to pitch? And most people don't even respond because that was their intention, so I've called it out as an expectation. And other people will say, no, that's not why. I just want to, as I did with you, no, just would like to see if we're aligned. And if you do those things, but again, it's all about defend your value right? Why are you worth my time? And you reached out to me. So you have to defend your value before I start defending mine. Mm. And if you do that, put that front and center in your mind of people are busy, but everybody loves a bargain. Everybody loves a bargain. And if you're that bargain human being, that handy human being, that holy crap, I can't believe I got to meet like I feel about you. You reached out to me on LinkedIn and completely restored my faith in the platform. (laughs) because we're on this call now, that's how you can be that to somebody else. You can be that person on LinkedIn who everybody says, I had this amazing connection on LinkedIn. You're never going to believe it. And you could be the person that is, that starts that story. Mm. Love it. So then your last, last question was where can they find me? Mm-hmm. So I'm a big believer in LinkedIn. I, I actually will tell you it's one of the few times that somebody bought a platform that I, 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 it went on to be a better thing. So I was very concerned when Microsoft bought LinkedIn. I was very, very concerned. And people tried to get me to join other social platforms. And, um, and I loved it. I mean, I, was, I joined you know, I was back when thousands of people joined LinkedIn. I can remember the person who invited me. It was Ted Reed who worked for Bose Corporation and he did marketing and, and I was a supplier to him and he invited me to this thing. And, it, and he was in Boston and I was in Toronto, but I respected him. So I joined this platform. I love this platform. So you can follow me, Gene Nickerson on LinkedIn and, uh, and I'd love to, love to talk to you. I'd love to, if you're asking, you know, for an insight or just want an opinion, I believe the first way you demonstrate value is you put out what you, you eat your own dog food. Mm. I'll take the dance around the dance floor with anybody a couple of times and test it out because you don't know where it can go. And I, I'll leave with, with the last thought, the very last thought is 
everybody has their fans and their detractors, right? They always do. And, you know, most really quality human beings, in my experience, have a little bit of polarization in their personality. And, but I don't know. So I, I say to people, there are people you instantly like who degrade over time. And there are other people that we know are the people that we really love. They kind of irritated us the first time we met them. <laughs> but we stuck it out a bit longer because they were adding some value. And you thought, well, what have I got to lose? And they are the people that you love the most today. So I don't know who the people I'm going to love the most, but I understand that that may not start out with them being exactly the most charming people up front. Jean, I, I love it. Everyone go follow her, connect with Jean Nickerson. Thank you for spending time with us today. And Jean, I feel like I learned not just about business, but about love, you know, go, well, I mean, I'm married, so it doesn't apply to me, but listen, go to where the nines and tens are, <laughs> know what your value is, align with that, walk with confidence from that and, uh, and, and find other people who are in love with you. Stop spending time with the curmudgeons who make you hate your life. Listen, you can have a life and a business that you are in love with. Gene, thanks for sharing that with us today. And uh, for the, for the audience, yeah. And, and uh, yeah, thanks for being with us. It's, it's been a fun time. Thank you, Donnie. Talk to you later, have a good weekend. Take care.